Namaste, yogis and friends. I'm Kino McGregor. And I'm Tim Feldman. And we would like to welcome you to Miami Life Center's podcast. Welcome. Welcome. Um, so my name is Tim. Uh, I know most of you here, uh, but not everybody. Um, so I am the founder of this place. I teach yoga here, I teach yoga around uh, other places too. <coughs> um, and every now and then we have a conversation about once a month. We have something we call chat and chai, which is uh, that uh, either I or some of the teachers at Miami Life Center uh, have a little talk about some of the background, some of the underlying principles um, that sets the platform upon which we do all this asana, uh, all this yoga posture practice every day. And um, since it's Christmas, <coughs> if you haven't noticed, coming up, then um, I thought I should talk about something Christmassy. But I completely failed in finding something Christmassy to talk about. <coughs> so I'm not going to talk about something very Christmassy at all. Um, instead, um, I, as a matter of fact, I put a little note up on social media and said, Help, I don't know what to talk about on Saturday. Does anyone have a good idea? So there's a couple of people that uh, brought some, some, some great suggestions up. And uh, based on that, I chose to talk today about Chitta Vikshepa Antarayaha, which we all know, of course, what is. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so, I thought, um, so what I would like to talk about today is um, distractions, disturbances, how that leads to trouble in our lives, <clears throat> how when distractions and disturbances come into our life, how um, uh, we get in trouble, and what we can do to get out of trouble again. And um, as always, I prefer to take base in the classic yoga teachings, uh, in this case on Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, rather than my own opinion, because he's just much smarter than me. So. Um, uh, I'm going to try to do that now. <clears throat> it is also first time that I, I talk about this like in a more kind of coherent fashion. Usually the ones of you who know me knows that I speak extremely incoherently at all times. So <laughs> today I'm going to try to be a little bit more coherent about um, what Patanjali says on this subject. Um, and since it's first time, like, please forgive me if it's like getting a little weird and technical sometimes. Um, <clears throat> I tend to try to follow the advice that I've uh, read that Einstein says. And he says, if you can't explain it to your grandma, you don't know your subject. And I am pretty certain that uh, my grandma would have no idea about what I'll be talking about today. So, but hopefully you, uh, you do. I should also say before we start that these beautiful paintings that's on the wall is from Natalia. And uh, she has taken the photographs and uh, made all the artistic renditions uh, to them. Um, and they will still be here when we finish the talk today. And if you have any questions about it, you can ask uh, uh, Natalia. And I think I also forgot to say thank you for coming, uh, which I would like to say also. So I'll say that. Thank you so much for coming today. All right. Um, so I'll be talking for what I hope is going to be 45 minutes. <coughs> and not 45 hours. And then um, I thought to ask you some questions, or, or if not ask you some questions, then um, just open up the forum for some questions, if you have some observations or something that you'd like to, to share after that. So let's see. Um, so one of the reasons that I'd like to talk about that is because um, obstacles and uh, distractions and disturbances to the yoga practice is something that I am extremely familiar with. Uh, just even at the moment, I, um, I have a little uh, issue up in my upper back. I've been working a little bit too much. I've been abusing it a little bit in teaching. So my practice is taking a beating right now. And then, uh, uh, to make matters worse, I went out to put the, uh, what's it called? 
the recycle into the recycle bin the other day and then I just pushed it down kind of without thinking about it <laughs> and when I did that then I dislocated this joint out here went like out and back in again which means that when I practice I have these pathetic uh, attempts of, of going into Kabutasana where I have to drop down have to crawl for my life to find my feet <coughs> and now I can't do that because this finger has been hurt <laughs> so I'll take that straight back down so it's um, it's quite pathetic <clears throat> so all right and in that way you know so um, and I, I realized that a couple of days ago I was like there and I was like trying to be kind to my neck as I was going into all these asanas and I came to Kabutasana and then I put my hands down and I started to crawl in and then it was like there was this strong sharp pain in my finger and it was like ah and I came out of my practice and I just sat there for a while I was like I don't even know how to start anymore you know how, do, how am I going on with this you know like and uh, what I also have to tell you is in seven days I'm on the floor in my store in front of Sharat so I kind of have to be a little ready for that you know so <clears throat> anyhow um, alright so and I can imagine that many of you have some kind of personal experience with if not your practice then your life in general where there's something that we set out to do and then there's all these things that uh, happens on the way uh, to trying to get there that kicks us away from that now um, when we go into our practice we can in our yoga practice our yoga asana practice we can very clearly see what's going on sometimes out in real life I feel it can be more abstract more difficult to discover um, uh, the the principles at play um, because it's so complex out there where in here it's kind of black and white often what's going on I have a pain in my finger and then there's a whole series because I'm trying to do some ridiculous movement and then there's a whole series of reactions in my head that makes it better or worse um, and when that happens sometimes we get lost and sometimes we, we do not and maybe you've tried it yourself and on that subject Patanjali is of great help <clears throat> alright so but before we talk about all this I should tell you that um, there is uh, something very positive about this whole conversation that is that uh, Patanjali and the Buddha and um, any spiritual significant teacher out there that you will find will tell you that there is a way out there is a path there is something that we can do to come back in the light um, and the way that Patanjali he uh, he talks about that is a little bit technical and I'll just uh, quote a sutra the, that he says he says Tataha Pratyak Chetana Adigamo Api Antaraya Apavascha and what that means is that um, uh, Patanjali says that we have the possibility to realize who we are to come closer to who we are to realize our true self and that when, when we come into that state of mind we also um, enter into a state where there is a general absence of obstacles so we are interested in moving into that flow does that make any sense? so this is what he promises us and if we can somehow remember that when we go into um, the whole talk about uh, obstacles and when we encounter the obstacles then it gets a little bit lighter in my opinion um, and one of the other things he says about that is that there is a pretty defined set of categories of obstacles and disturbances and distraction that we will encounter and it happens to everybody and so if you start on this path expect some trouble so if you start on your practice uh, it, when you're practicing you cannot expect it to be without 
any kind of friction. Um, and I'm sure you've experienced that. Now, a good example is if you drive a car, you might be really good at driving a car, but as soon as you take it into Miami traffic, expect some trouble. It's just not possible to drive with complete and utter samadhi through South Beach at any time and any day. So making sense? The same thing when you take your body out um, on your mat. Now, <coughs> my late father, God bless his soul, he was a horrible, he was really horrible at this. Like every time you would drive with him, he would curse and shout and roll his window down and shout about the drivers. And it would, like for instance, one day he came and he picked me up. And then we went to the end of the road. We didn't encounter any other cars. But then at the T-junction there, there was cars driving each direction. And that was enough to start him cursing. Oh, what is he doing there? I can't get out, you know, stuff like that. And I thought, oh my God, you know, like they're just there driving, you know. Like, <laughs> does he expect to be the only driver in Copenhagen today? The only car on the road, right? And I think that it's the same when we do our asana. You know, you go in, you're a little more stiff, you're a little bit more weak, you're a little bit something, something. That will always happen. You're, we're never at our, at our optimal. So. All right. So, <clears throat> in regards to these disturbances, these distractions, um, uh, there's another uh, sutra that uh, pinpoints exactly the nine kinds of distractions that uh, Patanjali uh, suggests that we will naturally encounter on the path when we start to get on the path. The first sutra was, first sutra? The first sutra, sutra was the 29th sutra in the first book in the Samadhipada. Okay, the second here is the 30th sutra in the first book also. And it states... So, that's those same words that I mentioned in the very beginning. <clears throat> so, what he's saying here is that there is such a thing as the chitta, the mind, um, being vikshepad, being prone to pick up on distractions. And when that happens, then that creates an antaraya. And antaraya is an obstacle, an obstacle for our further path. So those nine um, categories of obstacles that he suggests is one viadi, which means physical disease. That that is the, maybe the most difficult and the most common um, that we encounter when we start to get to set out on a spiritual practice. So, if you probably all try to have a strain, or a pain, or an injury, or just being really sore and tired from the practice the day before. So what happens in the brain when we have injury, or strain, soreness, or pain? We instantly start to doubt whether we should get back on the mat. Right? First thing that happens is we go, I better take a day off, it will be much better for me. <laughs> Maybe I have, maybe this little strain I feel in my knee, maybe that is actually an injury. I better not touch it today. So that's the first thing that happens. Now, he suggests something else, but we'll get back to that. <clears throat> you can also see in this slide, as Patanjali says, the, the primary obstacles that, that, we will meet, that we will meet is a physical uh, one. So, and it's about disease. So this is why... Krishnamacharya, Patabhijoy, Sharad, they say, do you practice? And this is why we start with the primary series that we call Yoga Chikitsa, which we call the clinic of yoga, which we call therapeutic yoga. That first series is all about getting the body healthy. When the body is healthy, then we start moving into the second series, we start moving deeper into the mind. And the reason for that is because they line, they line themselves up with Patanjali's teachings that says when there is issues in the body, there is issues everywhere. We can't almost get started. Yeah? Okay. The second one is dhyana. <clears throat> and that's a mental thing. And it's like on the verge of, uh, of physical also. But that is often um, uh, translated into the word apathy or the tendency of the mind to not work efficiently. So when there is a reluctance to start to do it, a procrastination and so forth, that will be the second obstacle that Patanjali su suggests is out there. 
The third one is samshaya, which is doubt and indecision and um, questioning whether it's going to be healthy, questioning whether this is right for me, I come from such a different background, I have a pain in my knee, I have this particular condition, there's something a little bit different with me, so maybe this is not going to work for me. Um, the practice yesterday, I'm not really sure that it was really good for my shoulder. Maybe I better, you know, try something else. You know, let me try another style. Let me try another style for three years. Then maybe I'll consider as you come, you know, that kind of thing. So when we start to doubt, uh, when there's too much doubt to get the work done, that is, uh, in, that is uh, a major obstacle, which is one of the reasons why we say, to have a successful practice, we must have, we must have shraddha. So shraddha means faith. Faith is a big word and a very confusing word, in my opinion, in my experience. Um, but there's another word that's like a good cousin, which is a little easier to get our hand around, and that is trust. That there's trust in what we do. There's trust in the yoga system. When you go to your mat, when you meet an obstacle, if you have trust in the system, you have a, a measure, you have a way to work around the obstacle. If you do not have faith, if you do not have trust in the system, what do we do? We go somewhere else to look for an answer. We go outside the paradigm of yoga instead of inside the paradigm of yoga. So if we start to go outside because we doubt that yoga can help us, that's what we call samshaya, well, that's what we call doubt, and that is difficult um, uh, distraction because it'll take us off the path yeah now don't mistake it for questioning intelligent analysis reasoning debating with yourself and your teacher and the people around us that's very important to do that oh, i met this principle i'm trying to, f to fit it in but how do i fit it in that's different than saying I don't know what to do about this at all. Yeah? It's a little, di little bit different there. Okay, the fourth one is pramada, and that is callousness. So when there is callousness, when there is a lack of um, consideration and love and care for one's own body or one's own mind or the people around us, when there is a lack of a, a, a willingness to keep attentive on the task at work, then many things can go wrong. In the yoga room, in the asana room, that means injury very, very quickly. There's just no doubt about it. If, you, if we just bust forward with tunnel vision, then injury is very likely to happen. Then injury happens because of careful callousness. Then we get into uh, the doubtful state. Then after that, then we move into a place of confusion and some kind of stopping some kind of apathy we don't know what to do and then we then you can see how they kind of feed into each other like that right okay the next one is alasya so that's like a body mind attitude that has to do with lethargy that has to do with laziness that has to do with being a little bit too much tuned into the physical realm it's like oh i feel tired i feel heavy i would rather sleep I could have a cheese sandwich, I could lie on the beach in the sun, you know, I could go disco dancing, or in my case, I could drive my motorcycle down to the Keys and say it would be much more fun. So, um, so that kind of alasya, that's, kind of, that's also uh, um, a difficult one. And it goes very much together with the second one, with jhana, with apathy and the, tenden the tendency where the mind is not really efficiently uh, working very well. The next one, the sixth one, is um, avirati, <coughs> and virati means to stop. So avirati means the inability to stop, and the, what is meant here is the inability to stop bad habits, to the inability to cultivate good habits, the inability to remove those things that we do in our lives that prevents us from going further onto the path. A, a, a simple ex example is if you are a chain smoker. Or if you have a drug addiction, if you are you you know it's we know it's wrong, we feel it's wrong. We can clearly see that it's not working for our asana practice. Why? Because I'm not on my mat, or when I'm on my mat, it's really heavy to be there on the mat. 
So all these kind of habits that we have that is not to our benefit our yoga practice, our yoga practice again being the tool to begin to move ourselves into the direction of yoga. If we are not able to remove, to detach ourselves and not from our bad habits, then that's also a major distraction problem for our yoga practice. Um, the next one is is number seven is branti darshana. So darshana means view, branti means bad, means false, means incorrect. So if we have incorrect assumptions, if we have confusion of what it is all about, about the philosophy of the theory, of the foundation of what it is, then um, there's, a, there's a problem because we will not understand what's going on and we will take wrong conclusions. We won't be able to discriminate between what's right and wrong when we do our practice. We won't be able to discriminate between what is doubt and what is healthy questioning and so forth. You can see they get a little more subtle as we go on. All right, the next one, the eighth one is Alapta Bhumi Katva, <clears throat> which is a very interesting one. So Alapta Bhumi Katva means that we are uh, in a place where we fail to benefit from our practice, where we fail to attain what we are setting out to do. That is also called an, a, a distraction. So when we're trying to do something, you can think of any asana that you're fighting with. And you are, you've been trying for a long time and it's not working out for you. Then you can see how all these six, seven, before of us, they start to work your mind. Yeah? So when... Okay, I'll come back to that. You can see how they start to create doubt, how to create... And then suddenly, um, maybe you don't get on the mat at all and you choose to take up roller skating or something like that instead. Okay. Ninth one is Anavasti Tattva. So Anavasti Tattva is the tattva, is the teaching, is the thing, is the principle of slipping and it means the inability to sustain what has been achieved. So let's say you have practiced for a long time and you now have achieved that asana, you now have achieved to do half primary, full primary, something like that. But then because of all kind of other things, you're unable to sustain yourself on that level, that you keep slipping back. Oh, I used to do Marichasana D so well. Oh, I can't do it anymore. Why? Oh, now we can start to count, yeah? So we are not, there's some discipline that's part of that also. Okay. How are you doing? <laughs> I just needed a break. All right. I'll just take some water. Any questions? Yeah, they get very subtle, right? The difference between not being able to achieve a level or a, a something and then having achieved it but slipping away from it. You can see how it's two different things, for instance, right? Like I feel like that with the um, second and, and, the, and the sixth, or the, 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 sorry, the, the, the fifth, where stjana and alasya is a little bit like apathy and lethargy and procrastination. It's kind of a little bit the same for me. I'm not sure why Patanjali has chosen to make those two different categories in... In my little head, they're kind of really close. So I do agree. All right. Yes. Can um, older age be an obstacle when we get older? So we would probably put that into the first one, Vyadi, or the um, the third one, Samshaya, which is either disease or non-functioning of the body, or doubt, which is Samshaya. Right. So. Um, the aging of the body can be an issue in doing certain asanas, but it is not an issue in pursuing yoga. So it might mean that you need to do a backbend that's a little bit less deep than the 22-year-old down the corner that used to be a gymnast. You know, that when you bring your 84-year-old grandma in, she's probably not going to be able to catch her ankles in her backbend. <laughs> Where the 22-year-old ex-gymnast, she's likely going to be able to do that. We don't know yet. So uh, the age can be a factor in how deep you go in the individual asanas and how many asanas you will learn. 
but not so much in whether you can do asana. Yeah? Richard Freeman, have you heard about him? He says it very funny. He has a great sentence about this. He says, Blessed be the stiff, or the ones that are not so good at yoga in general. And why does he say that? It seems to me that one of the reasons I feel in my own body, if you can do anything, what happens to your mind? It kind of just go like, yeah, yeah, it's awesome, yeah, awesome. If you, is there something you want to do that you cannot do? What happens in the mind? You go, why can I not do that? So now you start research. Now the inquiry starts. So now the mind starts to look outside the box. So now learning is going on. So when you're not able to do something that you would like to do, there's a whole cognitive process that starts up which is probably also good to avoid Alzheimer later or something. I don't know anything about that. But, but just have the Alzheimer I have now, that's all. But yeah, make sense? Yeah. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so um, all these nine, uh, we call them distractions. So um, all these nine distractions that can set in while we are doing our thing, while we are on the path, they have the possibility to take the chitta, the mind, and be shaped it, distract it, and when that happens, then that's when the trouble really starts. So we, def- we, dis- we, we define a difference between distraction disturbances and the obstacles that that create. Does that make any sense? The disturbances in, the, in themselves is not so bad. Because if we had faith, if we had rigor, if we had the ability to move, to move ourselves on, and we didn't really pay so much attention to them, we could still be on the path. The problem is that when each one of these, they start to play with our mind, we lose the path. And now we're in trouble. Now we have an obstacle. Yeah? So we say that each of these nine disturbances, they are like thin threads that easily break, that you can easily overcome, that we can manage one by one. The problem is that when they start to build up, they make a thick rope. And then that rope can pull you off your path, pull you off your mat, pull you off your intention, pull you off where you want to go very easily. So when something like this starts to happen, if we can recognize, oh, 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 I'm in Patanjali's Vikshepa area here, uh, there's something I must do, which we will, we will come to in a moment. There's something that I must do so I can get the benefits that we were talking about before. Yeah? Making sense? Okay. If, if, um, if it doesn't make any sense what I'm saying, just like weigh me down. I'd be very happy to try to explain in a different way. As I mentioned before, it's the first time I'm, I'm, I'm giving this talk. So I'm, I'm trying to find the right words and, you know, and in the process of that, the interaction with you is extremely helpful. Yeah, because that means that I get some idea about what I think is super clear. It's not clear at all. It's like Danish logic from 15 years ago. So. Okay. All right. <clears throat> So, we are talking about that the nine disturbances, the big shepas, have the possibility to splinter the mind, or we often call it to scatter <laughs> the mind, um, to start to let the mind waver. So now there's no stability, there's no steadiness uh, of the mind. Okay. <clears throat> and some, of, some examples of that. Um, could be that when we are into the, uh, when we are in that type of mind, then we will have an inability to concentrate of what we are looking at, um, or we'll start to look around the room and everybody else while we are practicing. How is Matthew doing that? Or, oh my God, look at Randy's new T-shirt. That's so nice. Maybe I should also get one of those. You know, and things like that. Yeah. Um, or another classic one is inability to stay present 
with other people or in a conversation with your wife, for instance. I've never done that, but I just I know a friend who has that problem. Uh, and um, you know, when you constantly need to like check your phone for an IG message that might come in, you don't know some comment on the post you put in last night, something like that. So uh, those are uh, clear examples, like in our everyday life, of the uh, the unuseful mind, the scattered mind, the mind when it splinters into different things. Maybe you have some examples uh, too. Some examples of the focused mind could be that we are able to be present with the people around us. That we are able to be enticed by the people around us. Uh, be enticed by what they say, by who they are, from the moment, from the conversation, from that interaction, whatever it is. Whether it is someone that we actually really like and admire, or whether it's the homeless guy on the um, on the corner. I think there's some story that I heard about the Dalai Lama that they, he always gets late to large conferences because when they take him from his hotel and through the whole back side and up into the conference hall where he has to sit on this big throne and talk to uh, 10,000 people, then he ends up in conversation with the guy who runs the elevator and the cleaner that's downstairs in the parking lot you know and like he keeps kind of like uh, he has this beginner's mind this like clean pure curiosity that he almost has a hard time letting go of he gets involved yeah okay or here's a great example when Brad Pitt shows up in a movie without a shirt on <laughs> you know your, your mind is like boom whoa it's like that's just don't talk about alright um, or in practice, maybe you know the feeling when you learn something new, when you're doing something which is difficult. When you have been doing uh, Kurmasana for a long time and you have now learned to do it, and then you're learning the second series version of Kurmasana, Titipasana, B. When you're starting to learn that, or when you're going from Pinchamayurasana to Karandavasana, or when you're going from, when you're learning to do hit stand or something like that or when someone is back backbending you you're pretty present right it's like whoa it's pretty right there so. all right and there's a whole other side of this which um, we maybe don't need to go into and which uh, Patanjali certainly doesn't go very much into and that is what happens when we end up in that splintered mind instead of that focused mind. What happens with us when that happens? And often what happens is we're failing at what we're doing. So then there comes all these after effects on like embarrassment and feeling ashamed and uh, self-deprecation and lower like self-esteem falling and uh, feeling that we're not part of the group we're the worst one in the group therefore we start to isolate ourselves then we use our lose our community i can keep going until you kill yourself jump over a bridge right but it's not necessarily like that bad every time but we are going in that direction very easily self-deprecation is this disease of the west which uh, happens a lot okay so um so the teaching basically is that when the mind functions well, we can do wonders. But when the mind doesn't function well, then we cannot really do anything. And what Patanjali tries to do, he tries to provide us with some help so we can be helpful to ourselves. So we can be useful to ourselves. Okay. So I'm going to go on to the next sutra, unless there are some questions along the way. Sutra 31. In the first book. Shall I do that? Shall I continue? Okay. Okay, so the next one sounds like this. Is this Dukkha Dhamanasya Angameja Yatva Shvasa Prashvasa Vikshepa? That is again Sahapuvaha. So what that means is that there are four things that accompany the splintered mind, the scattered mind, the wavering mind. And the first one is Dukkha. <clears throat> and dukkha is suffering and pain, un unfulfillment and trouble. And the second one, taumanasya, comes from 
Tua, which means bad, and Mana, which is mind. So that the next one, Taumanasya, means bad mind or disturbed thoughts. The next one, Angam Eja Yadva. Anga means limb, like in like in like in Anga, like in Ashtau Anga. And age means um, uh, to shake or to tremble. So what is said there is that the limbs are trembling. There's shakiness in the body. The body is trembling and shaky. Um, and the fourth one, um, Shvasa Prashvasa. Shvasa means inhale. Prashvasa means exhale. Or what that literally means is bad breath. Not as in horrible you know smell but as in irregular breathing or loss of breath like temporary loss of breathing that the breathing doesn't work so when we are suffering now when we are experiencing pain the body and the mind when the mind doesn't work for us well when the body is trembling and when we have irregular breath that is some of the symptoms that the disturbances is now playing their tricks on us yeah so that's one thing that we one way we can we can navigate a little bit is this going on when i'm practicing or even out there in real life is this going on that might be an indication that we need to look at the distractions the big shapers that might have hit the chitta because the next thing that's going to be is that we're going to be in this state of antaraya of this state of obstacles where instead of an absence of obstacles okay um so when we come into our yoga asana here's here's a couple of ways where i feel this at place when there when there's uncertainty instead of comfort when there's discomfort instead of this feels right you know that feeling in your asana you go into the asana and you, it's a good day and it's like yeah this is what it is and for the rest of our lives we're looking for that feeling Right for the rest of our practices, we are trying to get back to that same feeling. So, and we get a little closer, and we get a little bit further uh, away from that. Um, also, on that note, when there is a discomfort, that registers in our system, in our subconscious, as pain or suffering. So, when there is discomfort, we start to register that as there's something wrong. Um, when there is something wrong, when there's pain in the physical or the mental or the emotional, then fear and doubt arises. When fear and doubt arises, we are unable <coughs> to commit fully to what we are trying to do because it's scary. So we are starting to back backwards instead of move forward. Instead of back forward. Oh, we know back forward. Yeah, instead of move forward, right? Um, <coughs> So when we commit, we cannot step forward. Does that make any sense? Have you tried it in your, in your practice? Like you want to jump through, but it takes a little extra oomph to do it, but you're afraid you're going to break your toe? You know that feeling? So you're like, eee. Or first time when you came down from Pinchamayurasana and you had to move your hands back and land down one piece and you were like, this is not going to work out, you know. <laughs> so you're like, eh. and you get that kind of uncommitted movement pattern going on where you will fail. But you might not hurt yourself. You might also hurt yourself. Not, you'll fail and hurt yourself, so also possibly. All right. Um, so when we're in this place where we cannot move forward because we cannot commit, now the practice is lost, lost because the method has been abandoned. The method towards yoga has been abandoned. The path is lost. Yoga is lost. It's all lost. Yeah? Does it make sense? Okay. Alright, so these are some of the problems and the indications. And now let's go a little bit towards the solution. Hallelujah. There's a solution. You remember? It's like been pretty nasty talk up till now. You mentioned that you were in a... In a period where you cannot you have a hard time practicing for three months yeah can you recognize some of these these um, um patanjali's quite a few, quite a few. And the scattered mind, mm. that's why we speak so much about it you know because it happens so easy for us okay so 
Um, so according to Patanjali and most spiritual teachers, there is a single underlying prin- principle that is the antidote to all this misery. And to, uh, for me to tell you that, you have to click up in this corner and pay $25 extra. No, it's natural. You don't need to do that. Okay. That would not be right. Okay. Instead, what you have to do is come back after New Year and... No, okay. I'm kidding. All right. So this is now the 30-second sutra of the... Second... 30... Second... 30-second sutra. 30-second sutra of the first book. All right? So it's about overcoming the disturbances, how to fix the mind. <clears throat> and the sutra sounds like, the, like this. Tat prachisetartam eka tatva apyasaha. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So that means that. Um, so to prevent that, to praticeta that, to neutralize, to cure, to um, make sure that doesn't happen, all that stuff that we've just talking about, um, we need to abhyasa, we need to practice eka tattva. Eka means one, tattva is principle. Single principle, one thing, one-mindedness. Um, that will give for the purpose of overcoming tat. All that that we just spoke about. Yeah, all that misery that we just spoke about. So, or said in a little different way, one must practice taking singular focus to neutralize the disturbances. Yeah? So, one-pointed mind. So, we need to practice one principle. We need to stick to one thing. We need to not move from this to that all the time. So, if I want to learn music, if I want to learn yoga, if I want to learn music i play the guitar today i play the saxophone tomorrow and then i play the drums on wednesday i am not going to learn to play any music at all so make sense this is impossible if i want to learn music i have to choose my instrument carefully we'll get a little bit back to that later i have to choose my instrument carefully and then i have to put some effort in for a long time then may be possible then i can learn music via the drums or whatever it is that I do yeah and sometimes maybe I am not a musician but uh, Alex is sometimes you play your instrument I can imagine sometimes you think I'm definitely playing the instrument but where is the music (laughs) right like in some of all the exercises that one has to do to learn to uh, master that instrument the same with your asana practice I am definitely doing asana but where is the yoga? Where is the spirituality? Have you ever thought that or heard that from somebody? I'm here every morning, man. Where is yoga? All I need to, all my teacher says to me is, put that leg behind your head. No, you do it very bad. <laughs> yeah? Okay. All right. <clears throat> so, basically the idea is this. The key to the obstacles is to not get distracted. Yeah, the key is in the first place not to get distracted. Um, when the mind is focused, it is less likely. So this is like, you know, f- almost from the back. When the mind is focused, it is less likely to be distracted in the first place. You are less likely to feel disease. You are less likely to to get disease when the mind is distracted in the first place. So it's almost backwards. And it's almost so simple. So it's like, I thought you were going to say something smart about it, Patanjali. Right? <laughs> but it is very simple. But if you've ever tried, you know it's very hard. Yeah? So, but I think you probably sit with the experience, if you, if you take a look, that when you are focused on something, it works out better. And you don't run into all these doubt and uh, alasya and laziness and all that kind of stuff. You run into that much less. Okay. One must practice singular focus to neutralize the disturbances. Yeah? That is the teaching, that is the suggestion that Patanjali gives. Now the question then is, um, what 
what does that mean? What is a single-pointed focus? What is a one-minded attention? One-minded on what? Single what? One what? Ika what? Ika tatva. Tatva means thing or principle. Ika means one, like ikam in hell, like that. So one thing. Which thing is the next question? So that's the last uh, we'll go into today. And <clears throat> um, I'll just talk a little bit about it. So I'm actually, um, this is just the outro. So uh, in the next kind of like seven sutras, something like that, uh, Patanjali, he starts to go over what that could be. And what he says, he names it very clearly to be the exact example is, well, the first one he says is cultivating a useful attitude to all the different kinds of people around us. So there's different people around us. Some are nice, some are malicious. <laughs> some doesn't necessarily want the best for you. Some are all kind of other stuff. So we need to be able to um, have a different attitude to these kind of people. Some people that want the best for you, you can be nice and have a good time with. Some people that do not want the best for you, you have to be careful. You have to be have different attitude. Some people are very, very good and successful and rich and beautiful and have lunch with Brad Pitt on Saturdays. <laughs> so those kind of people, they, we have to have a particular attitude to them. What? We, like if we get jealous of them, that is not a very good idea, for instance. Does that make sense? For those, we must just be happy. Oh, good for you, man. Here I am in my old Volkswagen from 74, but good for you. So, um, and so forth. Yeah? All right, so that's the first thing. The second one is learning how to breathe. Pranayama. That the breath can be, that can be kept intact. And we know all about that from asana. We know that when the, the breath works well, that is the back door to the nervous system. When the nervous system works well, when the vagus nerve is uh, petted in it the way it really likes, and then everything is chill and yoga shanti. Um, the other is uh, meditation on sense objects. That could be that you sit and you uh, put your attention to a particular part of your body, uh, for instance, which is basically asana practice. It's just a constant flow between different asana, different parts of my body, and then over to um, Randy's t-shirt and then back to my body. <laughs> Um, then he throws a really annoying one in there. He says, there's no suffering when there is no suffering and you live in a state of light. Yeah, awesome one. <laughs> and then the next one is practicing letting, like gripping on to what you want. Letting go of desire, living with a certain detachment. Aparigraha, we call it according to the yamas. The next one, he says, is <clears throat> a little mystical one. He says that we have the possibility to seek guidance in, from our dreams when we sleep. That would be something about astrology, I think, which is um, yoga, astrology, and Ayurveda are often three kind of friends uh, that works together like that. And the last one, he says, which is the one I like the best, is all put your mind at anything that you want. Anything of your inclination is possible. So he basically says that you can put it on any object. You can hear that. He gives some examples and then he ends up, he says, oh, whatever you want. So commonly, like we put our attention on the body, we put our attention on our mind, we put our attention on religion, we put our attention up on a particular principle of spirituality, like compassion maybe. We put our attention on something pleasing, like the image of Christ or the image of Buddha or something or that we or a, a flame or something that we find uh, pleasing in that way or we can put it on a mantra a prayer or some kind of um, invocation or affirmation so you can hear that it's pretty much uh, free for everyone to find your preferred object of attention. Now, there is a little disclaimer here. So, it is always recommended 
in sadhana, in, in classic yoga and so forth, to choose your object with great care. So there is, of course, things that you can place a one-pointed focus on that is not necessarily going to lead you to the state of yoga, to a state where struggle doesn't happen, to a state where you are in absence of obstacles and so forth. This is, of course, possible. For instance, if you have one-pointed focus on your ambition, for instance, I want to be the best in the world at this. That might not necessarily lead to peace. You might be the best at the world, in the world at this, but it might not necessarily lead to, to peace. And you can come up with much worse examples. I want to be the only one that lives on this island. And you buy a big knife. Yeah, it's also possible. You know, you might succeed, but it might not lead to the kind of happiness that we're looking for in, uh, in, in yoga. Um, it is advised finally, and maybe that's just the last thing I'll say for today, to try to find guidance in looking for this object, whether it's your yoga practice or your Buddhist practice or your religion or whatever it is. Um, it is advised to seek guidance in finding that and in maintaining your practice and in practicing that, which is why we are here which is why Miami Life Center is here. Because we practiced with this dude, who practiced with that dude, and now we practice with that dude. Because we go constantly refer back there. Why? Because we need guidance, and opening this center up creates guidance for me personally, because I meet you every day. And you ask me questions I can't answer. So that's like, whoa, i got to figure that out. Oh, gotta figure that out. Oh, gotta. And after a while, that becomes a stepping stone in learning. Does that make any sense? That community and that, that and hearing your conversations and talking with you in the lobby and so forth. All right, that's pretty much it. Um, so we have nine types of distractions. They lead to an unuseful mind. We call it the scattered mind, the splintered mind. The unuseful mind leads to not less suffering, but more suffering. Oh, there's a way out. The way out is practice one-pointedness, practice single focus. You can choose whatever you want to put your single focus at. You can come down here and practice yoga with us, or you can do something else. But in the process of figuring that out, try to find guidance. We either at first on Google and in books, and hopefully later by friends and teacher, community and teacher. Yeah, that's it from my side. <laughs> I'll rest my case. The single pointed focus yeah. in life is, is that similar to your purpose in life? It could be. Um, hopefully, the single-pointed focus that will lead you is there to lead you somewhere. And where is that? And we tend to say in yoga and in other practices that there is such a thing called dharma, which is your purpose in life. So if we can strip down and figure out what truly works for us and how we truly fit into this world that gives us not only a great sense of meaning in our lives and purpose in our lives but also a great sense of deep fulfillment which is now we're moving over towards happiness and even further towards a sense of peace inside. I don't need to run around and question and doubt all the time anymore because I feel I am now connected to this circle of a hundred years or whatever it is that I'm living right now. Was that an answer? All right. Miss Kim, Miss Fabulous. 
Um, so is the one and only answer happiness or peace? Oh, so that depends who you ask. If you go into um, Walgreens, you'll see a whole line of books that talks about how to get happy. If you ask yoga, then we also talk about that sometimes. But we tend to talk about it in a little different light and in maybe perhaps a more ambitious light. That the happiness that we are after is not, yay, I have a 400 count Egyptian cotton sheets. Is that right? Is that a lot? That's a lot, right? No, it's not a lot. Huh? 650. We all have different measurements in life, as you can hear. And um, my rent is paid. I'm eating what I want every day. My partner is awesome. I live where I want to live. All that kind of stuff. I have the car I like to drive. I have the job I like to drive. I like my co-workers, all that. So all that potentially has the potential to uh, create happiness. Um, but often it doesn't. Often it creates a first layer of happiness that then, according to yoga, sometimes doesn't create happiness. So even with all that, we are still not happy. So we said all that is material. You know, the nice house, the nice food, the nice friends, you know, the money to have vacation when we want, stuff like that. That's all material. So <coughs> even the friends and the healthy psychology, we say that's still um, material. What goes on in the mind is another sense organ. We have five senses on the outside, touching, smelling, hearing, so forth. Everything we experience with those is material. The mind is what regulates inside, that uh, not regulates, but reflects on these experiences on the inside. So that's the sixth sense. So all that is material. So yoga says there's something beyond that. And what comes beyond that has to do with spirit, has to do with a spiritual direction. And when we start to move in that direction, sometimes our attachment to the material begin to ease a little bit, thin a little bit. When that thins a little bit, yoga suggests that now there is less anxiety and less fear and tension of, if not anything else, then maintaining this level of living, for instance. And through beginning to let that go, beginning to penetrate the paradigm of physical pleasure, of pleasure from material things, then we can experience a deeper sense of loss of fear, peacefulness, quiet, appreciation for whatever is, instead of for this is. It must be like this, then I can be happy. No, we don't know what it is. We, we let go of that control. And still we are very peaceful in that, whatever comes. So we are talking about a more ambitious type of happiness, peacefulness, no more struggle, no more friction. Keep going like that. Not two things, because if there's two things, there's always going to be two, and that is different, and that is by definition frictionate. So we come to the end of two-ness of duality, where they, they unify and there's no difference between one and the other, and then we start to move into this state of union, which we call yoga. Yeah? You see where I'm going? Okay. And, and, and classic yoga says, um, there's really no need for seeking to go and beyond being a physical, a material practitioner, if you're happy. Why would you? It's only if you start not to be happy. Then you might want to consider it.
So it's like yoga, that kind of spiritual path is for that person that can't even get enough out of the material. He's so greedy, so he needs more than that. That was a joke. <laughs> but not only. Yeah? Um, to reach samadhi, right, which is, this is the way I, like, I seen it with my practice. To reach samadhi, you have to reach a state of self-realization, right? Does Ashtanga say anything about like the one focus that to focus on your third eye, which is when you connect with your soul, which is who we really are, our souls. To reach samadhi, you have to get to like on that steady one focus on your soul, which is the third eye. Is that does it say anything in Ashtanga that when you meditate at the end to focus on your third eye? Uh, we have some asanas where we uh, direct our eyes towards uh, Brahmadhyaya, I think it's called. In uh, we call it that. Um, but we consider that a technique of concentration and a technique that can f- spur certain um, internal experiences. So we don't really work with the third eye as the entry to the soul, for instance. And we definitely don't call it the soul. Mm. Now, Ashtanga Yoga takes its name from Ashtavanga, which is the core of Patanjali's teachings, the Eight Limbs, the Eightfold Path of Yoga. And um, What he suggests, what Patanjali suggests is two paths, one with God and one without God. He says you can do all this by yourself, it's called the path of effort. It's possible to move towards this final state of yoga which we call Samadhi, where we have shit the idea that I am my body. Or the, and that is all I am, or I am my body and my mind and my emotions, and that is all I am. That we have come to a different place uh, where we see the body and the mind and the, our emotions and so forth in a slightly different light. Um, and when we start to move over to that, we move over to this idea of spirit or soul. But and this is where Patanjali then says. If you believe in that, that there is a, a such a thing as a permanent entity and not just an entity that lives for 100 years, dies and then never comes back. If you, if you believe in the, the possibility that there is something that is beyond that, something eternal, that we could call solar spirit, then we start to talk about something about God and divinity and something other than that. If you believe in that, that is to your benefit on your path. That will help you on your path. But he doesn't tell you that you must think, that you must believe in God, that you must believe you have a soul. He just says, if you do, it helps. Just in the same way that if you believe in your partner at home, it helps your relationship. <laughs> yeah? Um, if you believe in your practice, it helps your practice. So Ashtanga takes its base in Patanjali's teaching. Um, and Patanjali says something like that. Now, <clears throat> if I should complicate that even further, then uh, Patabi Joyce and his family uh, are uh, follows the teaching of Shankara Charya. So Shankara is the guy that hangs on the wall in there, the orange photo that hangs in there. We have Krishna on one side and we have Shankara on the other. So that's his uh, parampara. So Shankara is the dude that um, whose rendition that we now know uh, that is the only one that exists of the Bhagavad Gita. So if you read the Bhagavad Gita, you in any commentary 
whosoever commentary, then you have essentially read Shankara's Bhagavad Gita with somebody else's commentary. The Shankara uh, tradition is from Vedanta and they believe there is a God. They believe that there is a permanent entity within us. So in that way, Patabajos was a religious man and he would say things to us like um, you, th- you think you're God you do your practice you think you're God or oh, that yoga you not think God that not yoga and then he would uh, add you God not my God whatever God he would add your God, not his God. He didn't ask you to become Hindu. It was not important for him. But he was Hindu. Shall we do an Om? Just to... Which according to Patanjali is the, the, the sound of the Absolute, which is the sound... But when you say this sound, when you... We don't even say the sound. When we, this sound comes out of us, we unify with the Absolute because that is the manifestation of the Absolute. So when we say this sound, that is the expression of Ishvara, of God, and, and or the Absolute. And then when we say it, then we are one with it. And if we say it a lot, then that is the preferred method, according to Patanjali, to finding to single-mindedness. Hmm. Alright. Now we say it. Are you ready? Inhale. much for your attention and your patience thanks for listening to another episode of chat and chat yoga talks from miami life center this episode was with tim feldman our owner and director if you're curious to learn more from tim about the yoga sutras about the classical yoga philosophies that uphold this practice he will be teaching a six-day intensive march 2nd through the 7th with morning mysore practices and afternoon yoga sutra lectures So similar to what he did today, but just a little bit more in depth. If you're interested, you can go to our website, www.miamilifecenter.com. And underneath the workshops tab, you will find more information about this intensive and registration. If you just want to stay in touch, you can follow us on Instagram at Miami Life Center. And if you have any questions, you have any feedback about our podcast, about any future episodes you think we should talk about, you can send us an email, info at miamilivecenter.com. We hope to meet you or hear from you very soon. Namaste.